This podcast is brought to you by Kingdom at Work, a movement that seeks to inspire, equip, and ignite leaders to advance God's kingdom through their influence in the marketplace. Find out more at www.kingdomatwork.com, kingdomatwork.com. Hey, welcome to I Work For Him this afternoon. However you're listening to us today, just know that we prayed for you, that the show today, that the questions that Martha and I actually ask will be driven by God, and the questions that our guest answers will also be driven by God. Hey, we just shout out to our stations out there all over the First Coast, from St. Augustine to Jacksonville, all the way up to Folkestone, Georgia, and all over Tampa Bay, from south of Ocala to north of Fort Myers, and all the way over to Disney. And especially, you know, in Lakeland, Florida, let's just focus on Lakeland, Florida today, Martha, right up FM 102.1. They get to listen to us every day in Lakeland. That's a lot of fun. We get a lot of great listeners in Lakeland, Florida. Just want to say shout out to the Lakeland people today. How can people get a hold of us online and on the phone? Well, online, Jim, they can reach us at our website, iworkforhim.com. That's iwork4him.com. And there we um, are constantly tweaking it and adding things. And um, you can see our Facebook page, um, feed right on the front page but i would really like to let people know that they can go there when they are not near a radio um, and they're saying oh man i wanted to catch today's show they can go just pull up our website and right at the front if we are streaming live at that moment there will be a little red flashy dot um but they that they can just pick it up wherever they are and get a jump into the show as if they just tuned on their radio. That's iWorkForHim.com. Iwork, the number four, him.com. And you can also call into the listener line, 866-713-9675, 866-713-9675. Give us some feedback. Let us know. Maybe you've got a, somebody that you think we should be doing an interview with, or maybe just we're really touched by the show today. We'd love to hear from you, 866-713-WORK. All right, our first guest for the day. From Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary, that's way up in South Hamilton, Massachusetts. We love talking to people from the Northeast. We've got Dr. Kenneth J. Barnes. He's got some letters after his name, but he's written this book. <laughs> Ken Barnes has written his book, Redeeming Capitalism. And my good friend, Bill Peel, from Laterno Center for Faith and Work, told me several months ago, Jim, you need to interview Ken Barnes. This is a guy you need to interview. I'm like, okay, so we've been trying to schedule a show. Well, we just happened to run into, a, into each other right here in Chicago, Illinois. Ken Barnes, thanks for being on I Work Ram today. Well, it's wonderful to be here. And by the way, Gordon Conwell has a campus in Jacksonville, Florida, and I happen to teach there as well. Really? So, I did right. not know that. Yeah, Where is it at in Jacksonville? Which section of Jacksonville is it at? Well, I wish I could tell you. Okay. <laughs> but I do believe that when we went to the Pastor Appreciation Lunch, they had a booth there. Now that you say that, I remember I'm putting all these pieces together. So shout out to anybody who is currently attending there or thinking about it. It's and something they, they can f- check in their neck of the woods. And Absolutely. if they want to find out more, gordonconwell.edu, gordonconwell.edu. That's right? right. And I'm teaching a business ethics class there this semester. So oh, excellent. And what we do, by the way, at the Mockler Center, which I'm the chair of uh, at Gordon-Conwell, everything we teach on our main campuses, we also teach at churches because we want to take this message to the church. The traditional seminary model is an attractional model, come to seminary. Mm-hmm. At Gordon-Conwell, we think the cemetery, seminary... <laughs> Boy, that was not a Freudian <laughs> slip. That's oh, boy. That was fun. <laughs> we think the seminary should go to the churches as well. So, uh, yeah, so the, the classes that I teach are open to people who aren't even matriculated students. They're just interested. They want to audit the class. They can do that. So even if they haven't signed up, that's what matriculated means for those of you that are simple like me. Matriculated. (laughs) If you're not even taking the class, but you can still take the class, you you get heavenly credit for it. You just don't get any credit towards a master's or a doctorate. That's right. And and you don't have to do the papers and things. But you're sort of a guest, but I allow the guests to participate. Because what I have found is 
people from the marketplace really, really enhance the discussion for the students who are full-time mm-hmm. enrolled studying mm-hmm. for ministry. Right. So tell us just quickly how that works in Jacksonville. Are you at going to Jacksonville once a month, once a week, once a... Three times a semester. Okay. I do weekend intensives. And again, oh. that's to make it so that people who are in the marketplace, people who are working, yes. can take the class. So we start at 6 p.m. on Friday. Mm-hmm. We finish at 4 p.m. on Saturday, three times a semester. Okay. And again, that is by cool. design. All night long? You'd think. <laughs> it seems like it's sometimes. They get sometimes. to go to bed, maybe. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> we break up at around 9, 9.30 on the Friday night, and we start at 8 the next morning. The next morning. And, and we, you know, we really give the students a lot of time to interact with each other. Because that's where the magic yeah. happens, if you want to know the truth. No offense to fellow professors, but we really just facilitate discussion and thinking. Mm. It's all about thinking deeply and thinking Christianly about these issues. Christianly. You said that word last night when you were speaking. Christianly. Is that actually a word? It is now. Okay. <laughs> yeah. All right. So it was It was developed right there at Gordon-Conwell University, gordonconwell.edu. So just listen up, Jacksonville, especially today. So if you are intrigued by this conversation, you can get more of it by checking out the, the gordonconwell.edu. O-R-G. No, E-D-U. E-D-U. Gordon-Commel.edu. E-D-U. And uh, see what can happen right there in Jacksonville. And you teach business, business ethics, and but you're doing it in the fall. I'm figuring that's the kind of course you'd want to teach out of Jacksonville in the wintertime. So you're like, oh, bummer. I, I need go to go to south. <laughs> i got to go to Florida again in the wintertime. Well, December's part of the fall term, oh, yeah. so that works. Mm-hmm. And by then, it's a little rough in Massachusetts <laughs> by the time you get to December. Yeah, it sure is. Right now, it's gorgeous in Massachusetts. Mm. I have to tell you, the leaves are in full flower. The, it looks like the hillsides have been set on fire in New oh, England right now. It's fabulous. gorgeous. But it's going to get cold really fast. It is. It's going to start snowing really soon. I love that. Okay, we always start with every brand new guest of the show. We always ask this question. How did you come to be a follower of Jesus? That's a great question. I was born in a home uh, where we were Roman Catholic, and uh, my mother was especially devout. So I always knew who Jesus was. Uh, we always prayed my mother was a real prayer warrior. Mm. Then when I got a little older, um, I went on a, a camping trip with the Presbyterian Church. And the reason why I went on this camping trip with the Presbyterian Church was a girl by the name of Priscilla Pierce. Ah. I, I, I wanted to come back from that camping trip with Priscilla uh, on my arm. Instead, <laughs> I came back with a Bible, which was a lot better, although at the time I didn't realize it. Yeah. Uh, Priscilla wasn't interested, but God was. And so from about the age of 13, Mm. I became a voracious reader of the Bible. Now, that got me into some trouble with some of my uh, priests uh, because I would would want to debate doctrine, and and (laughs) they they weren't really interested in debating Mm -hmm. doctrine uh, until I finally got to a point uh, as an adult where I realized that, like the great reformers, frankly, my faith had evolved away from Roman Catholicism to what we would call Reformed thinking or Protestant mm-hmm. thinking today. So that's, that's how it happened. It was rather seamless, and, and I still have great respect and admiration for my Catholic brothers and sisters. I just disagree theologically on so many things that I'm not comfortable there, uh, and I'm comfortable in the evangelical world, and that's where I am. But you didn't start off as a seminary professor. No. You got a lot of marketplace background. Talk to us, talk to us about that. Well, I often remind people I'm not a career academic. Uh, I was one of those really annoying young guys at 25 that was a corporate vice president, had the suspenders and the yellow tie back in the 80s, and uh, I thought that was going to be my life, and I just felt God calling me to ministry. So I started to attend a seminary on a part-time basis. Well, this is 
but the tough part was you were in the 80s and you actually were in the ministry just nobody told you that your workplace could have been a ministry exactly right and so my concept was leave the corporate world yeah. to become a minister but I finished seminary, and God just had other plans. Did you go to Gordon Carmel for I seminary? Did. Yeah, okay. so I was a student there over 30 years ago, so to come back was wow. really quite wonderful. Still one or two professors still there, by the way, who, who taught me. Um, but God had this, uh, this vision for me that was very different, and uh, so I really tried my best to be obedient to that form of ministry, and mm-hmm. I realized that we need Christians in the workplace. I needed to be salt and light in the corporate world. So for 30 years, I combined my life as an ordained minister, serving churches, and as an academic. I was earning master's degrees and a doctorate and whatnot uh, while running businesses. And I did business all over the world on six continents at a very high level, working for very big multi-billion dollar companies. So during that time, I saw the good, the bad, and the ugly of global capitalism. Mm -hmm. And that's what made me write the book because I came to the conclusion that we don't have to tolerate the bad and the ugly as the price for the good. Capitalism does great good. I've been personally involved in seeing people really brought out of poverty because of good economics. But I've also seen the dark side of capitalism. And that's my prophetic ministry now, is to speak into that space where I have some credibility. Mm -hmm. I've been the guy in the corner office. I understand the pressures. I understand what works, what doesn't work. But we can do it better. We can do it with kingdom values at the center. Ken Barnes, redeeming capitalism. I didn't know that capitalism needed to be redeemed. Can an actual object be redeemed? But there's so much more to this story. Capitalism, is it a biblical idea, capitalism? No, uh, but it's also not an object. Uh, Mm. Capitalism is a subject, not an object. Capitalism is simply a word we use to describe this phenomenon of free markets that are lightly regulated and highly monetized. That's all capitalism is. It has no agency behind it, no will behind it. It is not a construct. No one invented capitalism. In fact, the word was invented by Karl Marx, of all people, uh, even though capitalism predated him by uh, 150 years. So this thing we call capitalism, because it doesn't have any moral a compass of its own endemic to it. It is, it is just this evolutionary process of economic choices. It needs a moral compass to be brought to it. So it needs to be redeemed the way all of creation needs to be redeemed. Last night at the dinner, someone asked me a question, why should Christians care? And I said, well, you know, Abraham Kuyper famously said that there is not one square inch of all creation over which Christ is sovereign that he does not claim mine. Mm-hmm. So capitalism belongs to Christ as all of creation belongs to Christ. And it's fallen, so it needs redemption. Well, okay, so let's... Uh, and com- that goes back to the title of the book, just to remind people. Redeeming Capitalism. And you can find a copy online, redeemingcapitalism.org. They also ask you a question about the millennials today how how you said 19 percent of them identify and agree to identify as capitalists but the majority of them over 50 percent say that they want to lean somewhere towards socialism explain that phenomenon because that's that's a big issue in today's world because socialism does not work we've seen it across the country but that argument does not work with millennials well first of all let me just say that um 
it's easy to understand why millennials think that way because when they were first growing into consciousness about culture and society and business and whatnot, mm-hmm. it was during the financial crisis. Yeah. So obviously they were skeptical about this thing that they inherited called capitalism. The other thing is we, we need to listen to them. Uh, we we can't be dismissive and condescending and say, well, they're just young idealists. They don't know any better. The fact of the matter is, you know, I taught at uh, Oxford University for 10 years. I didn't just teach theology, by the way. I taught in the business school. Ah. And, and I saw the best and the brightest from all over the world come to Oxford, to the Said Business School, wanting to create a different kind of capitalism, mm-hmm. wanting a capitalism that would create wealth, which it does very well, but also provide for the common good to help enhance human flourishing. Well, that's a Christian concept. Mm-hmm. So we should embrace that. But we need to explain to them why the attractiveness of something like socialism is fool's gold. In the book, I have a whole chapter on Marxism, which is very different from socialism. But I have another chapter on socialism and even what you might call socialism light, uh, the kind <laughs> of you know Bernie Sanders and mm-hmm. Thomas Piketty version of socialism, which you can understand that on face value, it seems fair, doesn't it? Everybody should you know, have a, a share of the wealth. The problem is they misunderstand what wealth is. They view wealth as a closed system. They view wealth the way a scientist would view matter. It can neither be created nor destroyed, right? Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a brute fact. So therefore, how we distribute the wealth is what matters. That's a misunderstanding. Wealth is actually the delta between the amount of labor and resources that are necessary for subsistence, just getting by, mm-hmm. and everything else. So you can either create or destroy wealth depending on the environment that you create for business to flourish. So the, the socialist concept, while attractive at face value, once you peel back the onion, you realize it's self-defeating. Right, because you can't, you're going to tell people, well, I want you to create wealth, but we're going to take it away from you and give it to other people. It takes away the incentive to create wealth. Isn't that really part of the issue? That's part of the issue, but it's even more... I'm a simple guy, (laughs) and I want to make sure people understand, because a lot of people misunderstand socialism. They think, we'll just take all of this and we'll spread it out so everybody will be fair. But every experiment around the world, what happens is it goes to the lowest common denominator, and everybody ends up being in poverty. Well, (laughs) as Margaret Thatcher famously said, the problem with socialism is sooner or later you run out of other people's money. (laughs) And that's an interesting quotation. Look, let's be clear about what socialism is and what socialism isn't, because this is a really important topic. Mm -hmm. Socialism is the public ownership of the means of production, distribution, and exchange. That's socialism. Wherever it's been tried, it's failed. However, every effort to bring justice and fairness into a capitalist system isn't socialism. And one of the problems today is it's hard to have a grown-up discussion about this because every time you criticize capitalism, people label you a socialist. And that's not right either. We've got to be clear about this, that we can have capitalism that works for everybody and not be socialists. And that's where I think with the millennials we have a great opportunity. Because once we explain what socialism is and what it isn't, 
we can get them on board with a capitalist system that's virtuous. Well, and that's part of the, the issue. As Christ followers, we've got an opportunity to bring the love back into the economics. That's what you said last night. We've got to bring love back into economics. Because as Christ followers, when we're wildly successful in business, in, in, in an adventure that God has gift, gifted us with, the whole idea is not for us to hoard all that wealth for ourselves. We're supposed to do something with that wealth in order to benefit our brothers and sisters mm-hmm. around us. And that's what's been missing. We got a lot of hoarding, not a lot of sharing. And as Christ followers, that was supposed to be something that was supposed to flow out of the generosity of our hearts, right? That's right. And the problem is that we have uh, accepted hook, line, and sinker this very pernicious, very dangerous understanding of ethics called ethical egoism. Ayn Rand and others are you know, famous proponents of this. Uh, and it's, it's got a lot of cachet for some reason with a lot of uh, people who would normally be considered part of the political right or the economic right. And it's a very pernicious concept. It basically posits the theory that if I only look after my own self-interest and everyone does that, we'll all benefit. And that's nonsense. Mm-hmm. If you only look after your own self-interest... All you're going to care about is yourself. Everybody isn't going to benefit. There's not much Jesus in that. There's no Jesus in that. (laughs) In fact, I remind people, Ayn Rand was a hugely critical uh, 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 commentator on Christianity. She thought Christianity was foolishness. Mm. So what we need is really virtue ethics. We we need to bring back the, the virtues of prudence and courage, and justice, and temperance. These are universal virtues. They go back to Aristotle. They're part of common grace. They aren't unique to Christianity, but they are part of our Christian heritage, mm-hmm. thanks primarily to Thomas Aquinas, who, who really codified them forever for the church. But in my book, I go one step further. I also say we need to bring the so-called theological virtues into business as well, faith, hope, and love. And I remind people that we call them theological because we know that they emanate from God. But in fact, they are also universal. You can't have a properly functioning economic system without faith. You've got to have faith in in something bigger than yourself. For believers, it starts with faith in God. But even in a so-called secular setting with non-believers, you have to have faith in something bigger than yourself. Faith in the system. Faith in our currency, faith in the markets, faith in the people with whom you do business, mm-hmm. faith that people are going to pay their bills, etc. So you need faith. So we need to have that narrative. We need to talk about it. And faith brings hope. One of the problems we have today, in my opinion, with our culture is that people are losing hope. The millennials have lost hope because they don't have faith. So we live in a post-hope culture because we live in a post-faith culture. So we need to bring that back. But it all starts with love. We need to bring love back into economics and business. And I'm not talking about that mawkish emotion you see on, you know, greeting cards. I'm talking about the biblical understanding of love. And that biblical understanding of love is given to us not just in words, but in a symbol. Right, in action. The cross. Right. Mm. The cross is the ultimate symbol of love. And what happened at the cross The ultimate great gave everything up for everyone. Mm -hmm. So if we can bring the cross and and what the cross represents, concern for the other, into economics, we wouldn't need socialism. We wouldn't need legislation. We wouldn't need regulation. People would be doing business virtuously. Well, let's simplify it even simpler than that. Okay, I'm going to try to put it in gym words. Yeah. If the church was doing what the church was supposed to do, the socialism conversation would never even happen. Bingo. Bingo. Right. And, 
Here's my question. Can yep. you stick around for one more segment? Of course I Because I really want to talk about the solution. What can the church do to bring love back into economics? Hey, we're talking with Ken Barnes today. He's written his great book. Actually, it's Dr. Kenneth J. Barnes, and he's a professor at Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary. You can check it out online, gordonconwell.edu, gordonconwell.edu. He's written this book, Redeeming Capitalism. Mm -hmm. And boy, if you pay attention to current events at all, you know that the media has been constantly had a barrage of attacks, put a barrage of attacks on capitalism. It's actually made capitalism look like it is absolutely the evil of the world. Yet, that's not all truth. Now, I know you find that shocking and surprising that the media might pre- be presenting something that's not all truth, but it's not. Redeeming but that's what capitalism. we're here for, that's to right. talk some truth. Right. And, and here's what we want to do. This is something that's way over our heads, but Ken Barnes said something last night at something we were hearing here in Chicago. He said, we need to bring love back in economics. And right before the break, Ken Barnes, I, I said to you, if the church was doing what the church was designed to do, which was to touch Every sector of society, with what the gifts that we've been given, if we, if the church would do what the church did in the first three hundred years, absolutely, they overturned the Roman Empire by love. That's what they really did. Without ever pulling a sword, they took over the Roman Empire. What is the solution today? You know, I mean, the church. Yeah, this my theory that I said if the church was doing what the church should be doing, nobody'd be talking about socialism. That's exactly right. In fact, I tell my students in the business ethics class, that we defer to regulation and legislation when ethics fail. We don't need hmm. regulation and uh, 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 legislation when we're doing things right, when we're doing things according to kingdom values. Hmm. It's when we fail at those things that we have to put up these road blocks to right. keep people from doing things that are illicit. But we stopped teaching ethics. We stopped, we stopped promoting ethics. Well, you know, one of the good results of the global financial crisis is now for the first time business schools are actually teaching ethics. They used to teach compliance. It's not the same thing. <laughs> no, it's not. Now they teach ethics. But going back to what you said about the church being absent, this is absolutely fundamental. And why I'm so proud of Gordon Conwell for even having a chair in workplace theology and business ethics. Not many seminaries do that. Mm -hmm. I write a chapter about Karl Marx and Marxism in the book. And basically what I say is, if you read Marx honestly and openly, you recognize that many of the complaints were valid. And that's because there was excessive exploitation of human beings by people who, in the name of capitalism, were exploiting them. You had child labor, you had you know, 16-hour work days, you had these workhouses, you had slum conditions, you had low pay, you had women doing jobs that were, no one would do today in, in an environment you would never do today. Mm-hmm. And, and where was the church? The church was largely silent. For the first three generations of capitalism, the church was silent. So Karl Marx comes along and he comes up with this idea And people gravitated to it because nature abhors a vacuum. And there was a moral vacuum. And so Marxism filled the vacuum. And it turned out to be like throwing, you know, a a, a brick instead of a lifesaver over a ship. A person will grab the brick if that's all that's there. Mm -hmm. And it has caused tremendous damage around the world. It could happen again. Sure If the church doesn't step up and say we are going to speak prophetically into economics... It could happen again. That's why you have this stunning statistic that 81% of millennials don't identify as capitalists. 
Well, we've got to step up. It, it's really a search for hope. I mean, if if you look at the at where our culture is struggling, they're looking for hope. They're looking for something they can put their feet on. They're looking for just give me something solid. Give me something relevant. Give me something authentic. They want that. And capitalism provided that for previous generations. Yet it always lacked. Not always. Ninety five percent lacked moral foundation. It was it was producing great wealth, but never telling anybody what to do with that great wealth. And it twisted people. Money twists people. Jesus warned us about money. He talked more about money than he did about love and faith. Well, this is something we have to remember, that while the Bible doesn't condemn uh, wealth, it warns about wealth. Yes, it does. And it says that wealth can be incredibly corrosive. Mm-hmm. And to whom much is given, much is expected. And we've forgotten that. In the book, by the way, I cover three epic periods of capitalism, what I call traditional capitalism, observed by Adam Smith, which was actually undergirded by traditional Judeo-Christian values. And then the Protestant ethic, which is what America was built on. And that was really a a whole-life discipleship approach to economics, Mm -hmm. where people saw that creating wealth was good for society. And most People who operated in that period did not keep the wealth for themselves, did not exploit the wealth for pleasure. They gave the wealth back to the communities. In fact, most of the philanthropic organizations that we rely on today were were created in the 19th century and the early 20th century. Mm -hmm. But Max Weber, who observed that period and coined the term Protestant ethic, he was quite prescient. He, He warned that if America ever lost its Christian roots capitalism would morph into something very dangerous. Uh. And that is exactly what has happened. That's the postmodern capitalism that I write about. So my and we're going to and let's just recap on that. We're talking about the book that you've written that's called Redeeming Capitalism. It's by Ken Barnes, who is our guest on the show here today. And Jim, we've were given a couple copies of this book here in attendance at the summit, and we would like to give one of those copies away to one of our listeners who might be very intrigued by this conversation and want to learn more. This is a great way to do it. So they can call our listener line 866-713-9675. That's 866 866- 713 work leave us your contact information and we will get back to you if you are the winner of the book all right kim barnes i want to talk solutions i want to talk uh, i mean we've we've kind of laid it out and we know we're in a mess i mean anybody that watches the news knows we're in a mess and in 2008 was all about that mess we had had radical radically successful capitalism but unfettered by anything and it just went wrong i mean people were i mean it was just all about cheating the system is what got us where we got us in 2008 all right now we're a decade later and things are not a whole lot better we've learned nothing yes well that's yes the pain we don't learn from our pain near fast enough so let's present solutions because it's time that the church steps up and presents solutions jesus was all about bringing solutions he wanted us to bring the kingdom here he wanted us as christ followers to bless all those around us whether they were following jesus or not that was the whole idea of the kingdom bring the kingdom here put it into action so how can the church bring love back into economics? How can the church be part of redeeming capitalism? Give us some of those real practical steps that don't involve five-syllable words. <laughs> yeah, I apologize for no, my no, no, occasional theological <laughs> language. That it's is a your habit. training. It's a it's habit. Okay. So in the book, I have two chapters at the end. One is called Redeeming Capitalism from the Top Down. The other is called Redeeming Capitalism from the Bottom Up. Mm. Now, Most of us don't have the facilities to redeem capitalism from the top down, except in one very important way. We can change the narrative. Mm -hmm. We can start 
questioning and challenging this notion that it's okay for eight people on this planet to have the equivalent wealth of four billion. There's something fundamentally perverse about that. Mm. This is part of the, the bad and the ugly being the price we pay for the good. That's just there's something fundamentally perverse about that. We can start talking about the fact that we've got an economic system that is built on mountains of debt. We right. aren't talking, but we used to talk about it. We don't talk about it anymore. But let me give you a, a statistic. In 1944, as the war was coming to an end, and we had the, the Bretton Woods Conference, which established globally what the world's monetary system would look like. The United States was the world's largest creditor nation, and we possessed three-quarters of all the world's monetary gold, and the whole world was on the gold standard. Fast forward to today, 74 years later. We are now the world's largest debtor nation, and all the gold in Fort Knox would only pay the interest on our national debt for six months. I mean, we've got to change that narrative. We've got to start saying, wait a minute. We've got $22 trillion in public debt, $14 trillion in personal debt. Something's wrong with that system. Well, we know it's wrong. We turned, our, we turned as a nation away from God, and he, and he laid it out in the Old Testament for the Israelites. Hey, if you're going to follow me, you'll be blessed. You will lend to many and borrow from none. But if you turn your face away from me, you're going to borrow from many and lend to none. And that's where we're at. So let's, what's the solution? How can the church get involved in redeeming capitalism? So, specific. Let's so, give me some so specific said, steps. Well, these are specific. Changing the narrative is very okay. specific. Narrative is good. But we don't control the media. That's right. Well, yes and no. Look, you know, when I was a kid, people used to drink and drive. People used to not wear seatbelts. Mm. People used to smoke in public. You know, it's possible to change the public narrative. You don't have to control the media to do that because, again, the next phase, which is from the bottom up, is that it starts at the grassroots level. All right. The one thing you've got to say about politicians is they know where their bread is buttered. Uh, and the good politicians, the smart politicians, listen to what's happening on the ground. Mm-hmm. So... We need to very specifically, first and foremost, as Christians in the workplace, be committed to the concept of being salt and light in the workplace. We cannot accept the sacred-secular divide. Amen. When we check our faith, when we check our virtues and our values at the door because we've bought into this sacred-secular divide and somehow there's no room for my faith in work, we contribute to the problem instead of the solution. We've got to be willing to come to work and say, we are going to be salt and light in this place, wherever it is I work. And you know, that's true of the person who sweeps the floors as well as the person in the corner office. Because mm-hmm. it creates culture. Sure it And does. this is what we have to do. We have to create virtuous business cultures. Excellence. Now, we, now, need to create, we need to demonstrate excellence. And, and you know what, James? Here's the thing. It's not an easy fix. You, you have to realize we didn't get here overnight. We can't fix it overnight. Yeah. One of the reasons why socialism, we were talking before, is so attractive because people think they can flick a switch and the government will fix everything. There is no flick a switch solution. Right. In the book, I say this is a can-do book more than a how-to book. The how-to is going to have to be figured out by the church in the trenches, working with private sector, working with public sector, working with the media, working in education, working in all these areas to change how we think about economics. Because I'm telling you, if we don't redeem capitalism, we're going to hate what replaces it. Ken Barnes, I love the fact you wrote this book. 
redeeming capitalism. I love the fact that we can get people, oh, people you can call right now, get a copy of the book, 866-713-9675, 866-713-WORK. Call and get a copy of Redeeming Capitalism, redeemingcapitalism.org. And maybe you just love what you're hearing from Ken Barnes. You're like, I want to take some classes from this guy. You could check him out at Gordon Conwell Theological Seminary, gordonconwell.edu, gordonconwell.edu. Like he said, he teaches once a month in Jacksonville, Florida. Ken Barnes, thanks for being on I Work For Him today. Thanks for just wetting our appetite. I'm going to read the book, because normally I read the book ahead of time. I'm going to read the book, and I'm going to come back. We're going to have a much de- more detailed conversation. But thank you, Ken. I look forward to it. I'm really honored to be here. And thank, thank you for you. your ministry. And, and thank you to the listeners for spending the time to listen. I do hope they get the book. I do hope they share it. I'm going up to a church, by the way, in Vermont next month. The whole church is reading the book. Wow. And they've invited me to come and speak to them. Excellent. That's fantastic. Love that. Ken Barnes, thanks for being on I Work For Him. Thank you. We are broadcasting you from the Windy City, Chicago, Illinois. Just got done talking with Ken Barnes' great book, Redeeming Capitalism. Now we're bringing on some true radio professionals to join <laughs> us. we got Bob Lambert and Jennifer Villarreal. These guys were on the air with us way back in October. We're so excited to have them back on the show with us. Bob and Jennifer, you guys got to talk to Ken Barnes, too. Yes, yes. we did. What, what was your biggest takeaway talking with, with Ken Barnes about redeeming capitalism? Well, I, I, for me, really, uh, you know, because capitalism is a pretty a word today that has a visceral reaction to it. And I think what was really cool, and we heard from the room last night, was the fact there was a couple challenging things. Why are you using the word capitalism when there's such right. a visceral connection to that? And he said, that's exactly why I'm doing it, because he's really stepping into that. And uh, and talking about it, and it, what a wealth of knowledge this guy is really bringing mm-hmm. it you know, as far as what that means and what capitalism means and how we've really got to protect it and bring it back, you know, the forefront. Especially in regards to the youth as well, because yeah. they have a different view on this. And so he encouraged us to, you know, talk to them, engage with them, find out why they view it this way and uh, just to open up that dialogue. Yeah. You know, what I think is great about you guys, Bob, you have been doing radio for a long time, five, six years now, right? Yep. Okay. So you added to your team, Jennifer Villarreal, which yep. you referred Jennifer to us a year, year and a half ago. We interviewed her on our show, but you guys together as a team, it brings a whole new ni- dynamic, doesn't it? Oh, you bet. Yeah. <laughs> for Plus an older she guy. She understands <laughs> social media. That's, yeah, that's pr- huge. It brings a lot of energy to the show. And, uh, the other thing, too, is just brights up the show because she really will drill down, you know, with an interview uh, where something comes out and she's, well, wait a minute. Now, let's let's take this level. Mm-hmm. Whereas before I might let it pass, I wouldn't go into the depth. But she really has such a talent for it because she's a coach uh, also and she coaches her clients. So she really wants to draw that out, you know, and, and bring those forth. So it gives our interview and the things that we're doing much richer. Plus, she's beautiful and bright. So, you know, I mean, I've got two <laughs> Bob, good things going. You're so kind. Really, it's just because I might not understand something. <laughs> and I want it broken down and but really you sound so simple smart English. <laughs> I usually say, "Hey, what would you say to somebody who's ten years old? How would they understand this?" Yeah. And so it just helps to really, I think, drill it home to make sure we don't miss something really important. Well, uh, it really doesn't, and that. not because of our our listeners at any level. It's really sometimes we're not even completely engaged when we're listening mm-hmm. on the radio. We may not get the whole thing. So if you're not a hundred and ten percent into the conversation, you might miss it. Exactly. So we want to make sure that we're not not speaking um, in a way that people are going to miss that well, that's great a, nugget of information. You brought up a great point because she reemphasizes it again. Yeah. So we, she reinforces it mm-hmm. back. Okay, this was this, and this was this, and this was this. Listeners, do you get this? You know that kind of thing. So she really helps to reinforce and paraphrase what you know our interview is about. And I think it's just again, 
it brings those things out to people. Here, here's some key points Excellent. you want. Key to make points sure that they can begin to implement, not right. just you know take it and do nothing with it. Mm-hmm. We we need to make changes, and that's mm-hmm. the way that we begin by putting it into action. Right. So as you guys look forward to the new year and you look forward to 2019, Faith Marketplace Radio, what do you expect? What are you expecting God to do? That's a great question, Jim. You know, I've been, well, first of all, let me step back a bit because I was praying on this because for five years I've been doing it and so on and so forth. And I was just praying, God, what do you want me to do with the show? Where are we going with this whole thing and that? And Jennifer had been on twice on the show that I interviewed her. We go back six, seven years of knowing each other. And what I didn't know is that the last time she was on the show, she we took a picture in studio of the two of us with the gear on. Mm-hmm. And she posted that on her Facebook page. Okay, And that she'd been staring at that for a couple of years well we were always kind of back and forth in conversation because we have similar business wanted to see how we could work together and one day this spring when we were talking at the end of it she said bob she said i gotta tell you something i've been staring at this picture and you probably didn't know i had it up there and i feel god's calling me to, to for us to do something how would you feel about me becoming a co-host with you in the show? And I'm sitting back in my chair in my office. I'm going, thank you, God. Thank you. The thank you. Thank you. Singing. The angel starts singing. The angel starts singing. The dragonflies came out. Fly rocks, that's her symbol. And all this good stuff that came out. And, and it was just, God knows what's going on in the timing. Mm-hmm. So when you ask me that question, I'm going to throw it to her because she's got a lot of cool stuff she wants to do. Bob, you're so kind. So I think really what it was, if the reason why I didn't change that image because I was a little bit unplugged from social media, mm-hmm. right? And I just always loved being on radio and doing that and being around Bob. I mean, come on. His energy is just through the roof and mm-hmm. it's contagious. So what we want to do is bring people together in community. That's a huge thing. There's all these separate uh, silos, especially in Chicago. Right. And so Bob is just a fabulous connector and I have a few connections yes. as well. Yes, he does. <laughs> and we just want to bring everybody together and not only in Chicago, but nationwide, you know, through other programs just like yours, Jim and Martha, you know, and and really create this community. And Mm -hmm. I don't know if you caught it, but Bob made a little bit of a... A slip up here when he said Facebook and yeah, and he, he said, said Facebook. Facebook and who knows maybe we need to start yeah, the next I platform was exactly Facebook. the same thing <laughs> okay I was too I was actually seeing there used to be like a, a mock up of that and mm-hmm. it was at Facebook it was a t-shirt oh, I used to sell it I didn't mean to let that out claim it claim it if you want to find out more about Bob and Jennifer and you want to hear them on the air faithmarketplace.com faithmarketplace.com their show Faith Marketplace Radio every Every Saturday at noon central, or if you're in Chicago and you have to be driving around, it's on 1160 a.m. every Saturday at noon. All right, so let's just let's just imagine a world in Chicago where everybody who loves Jesus understands that their work matters to God. What does that look like, Jennifer Villarreal? Yeah, I think uh, what it looks like is just allowing yourself to be bold in your walk. And so let th- letting that light shine, it doesn't necessarily mean being so preachy and you know speaking above people's uh, heads and really just connecting with their heart. Meet them where they're at. Although, you know, I remember before I started Sales from the Heart, my business, I was in corporate and I had this big uh, Joyce Meyer mug from a women's conference. Mm-hmm. And I remember I was interviewing uh, some somebody 
for for a job there. And that opened up discussion because they saw a verse on there. Mm -hmm. They knew that it was a safe place for me to in in that person to to talk and to engage. I also think that prayer is really powerful. Mm -hmm. I think sometimes we can overlook that. So how can we pray for our team, for our staff, our employees, for our clients, and then also invite them and and ask them Mm -hmm. if they would like us to, if it would be okay if we can pray for them. And and, and maybe even right there, right? So again, just being more bold in that. Um, Also via social media, I'm not afraid to put that on my LinkedIn page or put it on my Facebook, Mm -hmm. but I make it really clear that I'm not here to convince, convert, or condemn, but I'm not going to shy away from my light. And so I think that's that's really important. Yeah, and I think the other thing too that we're really excited about is the whole movement among millennials. Uh, you know, we've talked about this before, and you, you, you guys are in the same boat, that we believe that the revival in this country uh, is going to be in the marketplace. Right. And it really is. And we've been encouraged by some of the speakers here, you know, as to how the, some of this stuff is being brought to attention. Yeah. But we've seen movement here in Chicago that's phenomenal. The beta test for Cruise Millennials was here in Chicago. They're taking it out nationwide. Uh, Emerging Leaders Initiative here in Chicago, started in Chicago three years ago and filled up the Grand Ballroom over at the Mid-America Club, Mm -hmm. you know, just in spring. Uh, All of these things where uh, Christians are moving, more mature Christians are moving to help, you know, with the young people by walking it and helping them, bringing them up alongside. And now the executive director of that organization is 27 years old. And is going to be taking this out. And the testimony of these young people and how articulate they were. And they're on fire. They're passionate about it. That's the thing that we really see and we're so jazzed about is seeing that movement coming in that the revival of with the young people. Because they're highly skeptical. They're not going to church. Mm-hmm. They've seen this for two and a half decades. People talking it but not walking it. Mm-hmm. So You know, you guys right. just interviewed Ken Barnes and we did mm-hmm. too. We were just talking about that earlier in the show. And one of the things I know that he really emphasizes is, you know, if the younger people might say that they don't believe in capitalism or something mm-hmm. like that, not to shut down the conversation, yeah. exactly. but, to, but to ask questions and to research it more and to, to allow that to be a place to come together. Because a lot of times we don't like things we don't understand. And yeah. um, because we've seen bad happen. So, you know, I, I'm just encouraged that other people are seeing that, you know, there's great value in all of the generations working together and learning from each other. Um, have you guys been able to then tap into some of the millennial stuff that's actually happening here in Chicago? Yeah, like I said, that emerging leaders. And I know yeah. Mark Chasman that started that thing. Actually, he's a, a Messianic Jew. He came to the Lord, uh, you know, after after we was with AOL, one of the top execs at AOL hmm. and, and cashed out of that. And Mark's heart was just so filled with, you know, this whole idea. But he was, it was an interim process bringing it along. Uh, and it was some, some older gentlemen that really started the thing, fired it up. But what I'm really excited about is they're handing it off to these young people that have started this thing and that whole thing. And and then connecting another group. I just uh, interviewed one of the local chapter here of um, Young Catholic Professionals. They have a similar thing, chapters all over the country. And so when, when she said, let's unite these silos, we're so yeah. excited about that because they are of a different ilk. You know, diversity to them is diversity of thought. It's not just diversity of culture. Right. And what's really exciting about that is they want to see this happening, too. Yes. They want to bring this together. And so we hope that we're a catalyst just like you guys are a catalyst out there. We're, you know, we, we've been at this a while, but we're, seeing, we're, we're feeling encouraged by some of the stuff we're seeing. Yeah. I'm so encouraged by you guys because you took your world tour this year <laughs> and you, you know, all the stories you got and the, the things you did while you were on it's, tour. It's been um, a lot of fun for sure. Yeah. And we got lots of those world tours to go, I'm sure. Yeah. 
Bob Lambert, Jennifer Villarreal with Faith Marketplace Radio. Check them out online, faithmarketplace.com, faithmarketplace.com. Thank you guys for just squeezing us in a little bit today. Yeah, we Thank appreciate you. it. Thank Fun you. being yeah. with you face-to-face in Chicago. Love That's that. Right. Check them out online, faithmarketplace.com. You've been listening to I Work For Him with your host, Jim and Martha Brangenberg. We're Christ followers. Our workplace, it's definitely our mission field, but ultimately, I, I work, work for him. him.